Hey, I'm Zach. Thanks so much for checking out this week's message. I hope that it encourages you. I hope it challenges you. And I hope that it causes you to dive deeper into God's Word. I also hope that you have some community around you that you can talk through some of these things with. And if you don't, we'd love to invite you to be a part of our community here at Restore, whether that's coming to one of our Sunday gatherings or coming to one of our Restore groups. Either way, we would love to see you. You can get more information about that on our website at RestoreAustin.org. And I hope you enjoyed this week's video. We've been in a series on prayer. Um, we're a few weeks into it. So far, we have tackled the who behind prayer. And we've talked about how prayer is really just the basis of a relationship between us and God. And the who behind who God is and who he says we are was the subject of our first week. And so we said God is this perfect father. He's this best friend. He's this one who approached us when it seemed like no one else would and just said, hey, I, I want to be your friend. I want to talk with you. I want to be your savior. And he initiated this relationship with us. The God and creator of the universe initiates relationship with us, his creation. And so that was the who behind prayer. And that was kind of the foundation for our series. We've also looked at the why. And we tried to answer one of the, what I think is the hardest questions about prayer. And that's, does it really change anything? Does it really do anything? And so we came to this conclusion, and I think C.S. Lewis put it best when we said, prayer doesn't change God, prayer changes us. That our prayers are not all about trying to get this God that's up in the universe who created all things, who sustains all things, to do what we want him to do. Prayer is about aligning our will with God's will. It doesn't change God, it changes us. And so if you missed either of those, they're both online. Um, but this morning we're going to tackle the what behind prayer. What is prayer? What does it do? And like, like I said, right before we started singing together, prayer is simply communicating with God. It is this interaction between you and him. And I know what you're thinking when I say the word interaction. You're thinking, Zach, I, I've, I've prayed before. Whether you're a Christian in here or not, whether you are a church attender in here or not, most likely at some point in your life you have prayed before. And so I know what you're thinking. When I say interaction with God through prayer, you're thinking, Zach, I do all the talking in prayer. <laughs> I don't really hear much on the other side of that, right? Most of us, whether it's like before meals or praying for someone else or praying before bedtime, we pray and we spend time with God, but we don't necessarily feel like he's spending time with us, that he's talking back to us. So I want to tell you a story about that. When I was... 19-year-old college student, I started working for a church for the first time, and I was a youth pastor. And I truly, truly had no idea what I was doing. See, I went to college, um, and I was, thought I was going to be a, a football player, and I was going to play for four years, and then I was going to become a college football coach. That had always kind of been the plan. I mean, after the NFL dreams had died, right, you know, when I realized I wasn't going to be tall enough. It's, I'm, I've gotten over it now. I feel better about it. <laughs> But when those dreams died, I figured out I wanted to be a college football coach. So I wanted to play college football and then become a coach. And so I started playing my freshman year, and then I got hurt. I had a career-ending injury after my freshman year and couldn't play anymore. And so it was like, what do I do now? And so I was introduced to this lady in the office of our school, and she said, hey, you know, our church is looking for a youth pastor. I think you'd be great at it. So I applied, and for some reason this church hired me, 19-year-old kid, sophomore in college. 
And the main part of my job was to teach students on Wednesday nights and on Sunday mornings. And even though I really had no idea what I was doing, I knew that, see, I was a, I was a communication major in college. So I was like, communication major, it's communicating with kids. How hard can it be? But to be honest, it was difficult because I, it's a little embarrassing, but I was actually a sports and leisure studies major at first, back when I thought I was going to be a football coach, right? I, mostly because I really like to rigorously challenge myself academically is why I was a sports and leisure studies major. So I was studying sports and leisure studies, and then I realized I wasn't going to be a college football coach anymore, so I'm like, what am I going to do now? And so I was like, okay, well, I can switch to communication. I'd, I'd had some uh, classes in that department, and I thought it was kind of cool. So it was my first semester as a communication major. I get hired to communicate with kids. I'm thinking it's going to be a breeze. So I jump in. I think I got hired on like a Thursday, and so my first teaching opportunity was going to be a few days later on a Sunday morning. So that Friday night, I sit down on my, my dorm room bed, and I start to try to write a message to talk to these kids about. And like I said, I, I really didn't know much about being a youth pastor. I didn't really know much about the Bible in general. I did know that I thought the Old Testament was kind of weird. You know, I thought it was kind of wheels off. I thought it was, it was a lot of laws that I didn't understand. It was like a whole book of just names and some other things. So I was just like, I'm going to stay away from that for right now, my first week. I'm just going to start in the New Testament. So first book of the New Testament, Matthew, first chapter, chapter 1. So I open up Matthew chapter 1. We're going to give it a go. And I, I, I didn't really know much about preparing a message either, but the pastors that I'd heard usually started by, by like reading through the text, whatever they were going to talk about. They'd read all the way through it, and they would go back, and they would explain it. I don't know that sounded like as good a method as any, so that's what I decided to do. So I prep for the next couple of days and get everything ready, and then all of a sudden, I realize that it's Sunday morning, I wake up, I go to the youth room, and there are two kids sitting there, two kids in the room. And I introduce myself, hey, I'm Zach, I'm a communication major, you know, I'm going to do some communicating this morning. I love to communicate with people, I can't, communi I can't wait to communicate God's word to you. And, and they didn't really seem that impressed by that, so I got a little worried. But I pull out my Bible and my notes, and I start my message by reading through the passage. And so I actually read Matthew chapter 1. If you don't know much about Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1 is literally just a list of names preparing for the coming of Jesus. So it's like so-and-so was so-and-so's father, and so-and-so was so-and-so's father, and then all the way down to, and so I read through, it's like 12 verses of just names, and I get to the bottom, and it's like, you know, Mary was the mother of Jesus. And I look up, and like there's no life behind their eyes anymore. <laughs> I mean, they, they're sitting there physically, but their bodies are somewhere else, you know? I mean, their bodies are there physically, but their minds are somewhere else. They, they have totally checked out of what I'm talking about. And this went on for a few minutes. Um, I mean, months, not minutes. It went on for a few months as I prepped and did this every Wednesday night, every Sunday morning from week after week after week. And it was like I wasn't getting through to them. It was like I was talking, but they weren't listening. It was like I was sending out information, but they were not receiving it. And as a communication major, this baffled me. Why is this happening? And so I thought that I should 
go and talk to my communication professor. So, like I said, it was my first semester of communication classes, and I walk into my intro class, and we're about halfway through. And so, after the class ends, I walk up and I share my dilemma with my communication major. Hey, I'm a youth pastor. I've been teaching these kids. I've been doing all the things that you've told us to do, and they're not listening. They're not getting anything out of it. What should I do? What am I doing wrong? And he said, Zach, do you remember the definition we, be, we gave for communication at the very beginning of this class? I said, well, yeah, of course I do. But if you could say it again, that would be great. <laughs> and so he said, communication is the transmitting of and receiving of information. Zach, you can talk all you want to, but communication only takes place when the information is received when you are listened to. And it wasn't hard for me to realize and admit that I was transmitting, but they weren't receiving. But what actually caused the breakthrough for me was realizing that they were transmitting too through the things that they were not saying. All their nonverbal cues, every piece of eye roll and head down and nodding off to sleep was telling me that they were not getting anything that I was saying. I was so worried about getting my message across that I never stopped to listen to theirs. I was so worried about transmitting all this stuff that I knew to them that I was never, ever concerned about listening to what they had to say to me. And I think that happens to us in our prayer lives. We must realize that if prayer is simply communicating with God, it's about more than transmitting information to him. Communication means talking and listening. And so here's an equation I'm going to put on the screen that helps me remember. So prayer is communicating with God. It's our words, what we send, plus God's word, what we receive. And that equals communication with God. Our words plus God's words. And in my life, I came to realize that I had made prayer all about my words and had little to no concern for God's word. Has that ever happened to you? Prayer is all one-sided. Prayer is all about you getting your message across, but very rarely is it about you stopping to listen to what God might have through his word for you. For you, maybe prayers become like a monologue instead of a dialogue. For you, maybe you're like 19-year-old youth pastor Zach that's just sitting there and talking and talking and talking, but you don't feel like any information is coming back across. It's no wonder that our communication with God feels one-sided, shallow, and ultimately unfulfilling. It's no reason that we get frustrated in our prayer lives. So if the part of prayer we most often miss is listening to God's word, then I think the question for us becomes, what is God's word? How do we listen to it? Because like I said at the beginning, the truth is for most of us, when we sit down and pray, even if we did stop and pause and listen, we don't necessarily hear like audible communication back from God. As much as we want to sometimes, as much as we try sometimes, as much as we try to block out every distraction and listen, it's not like I'm standing across from you or, and, and talking and listening. It's not like that with God. So what is God's word and how do we listen to it? I believe God's word is, is integral to the story of humanity. That this meta-narrative of history, the big story of humanity and God and his people is many ways defined by God's word. 
And so for the rest of our time together this morning, I want to take us on a journey to help us deepen our understanding of and affection for God's word. Deepen our understanding of and affection for God's word. It's a journey that starts in the very first verses of Genesis, goes throughout the whole Old Testament into the prophets, moves into the time of Jesus, and ultimately meets us here as we sit this morning. Pastor and author Tim Keller puts it this way. When the Bible talks of God's word, it is talking of God's active presence in the world. To say that God's word goes out to do something is the same as to say that God has gone out to do something. So I I firmly believe that everything that is beautiful and holy in the universe, including every good thing in our lives, comes as a direct result of the word of God, his active presence in our world. So let's dive in. I usually, on Sunday mornings, like to pick a passage of Scripture and we kind of work verse by verse through it. But this morning, like I said, it's going to be a little bit different. So we're going to be looking at a bunch of different texts as we walk literally from Genesis all the way through parts of the New Testament. And so you can follow along if you want to. You can write them down. You can put them into your phone. But the verses will also be on the screen behind me if you want to follow along that way. Like I said a second ago, our journey begins in Genesis 1-1. And it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, so let's pause there. We're two sentences into the story of the universe, the beginning of time, and God is about to speak his very first words. What are they? Verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and he called the darkness night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So God said, let there be light, and what happened? There was light. What happens when I say, let there be light? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing happens. I can be in a dark room and I can say, let there be light, but no light happens unless I go over and I turn on the switch or I light the candle or something like that. My words have to be accompanied by action. I can say, let there be light all I want, but if somebody doesn't go and turn on the light switch, there's not going to be any light. This is not the case for God's word. His words are identical with his action. You see, it doesn't say that he said, let there be light, and then went and began to make the light. His word itself made the light. His words and his actions are one. That's the power behind them. It goes on like this through the creation story. Genesis 1-9, and God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds, and it was so. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind, and it was so. On and on and on. God says something, and it's so. God's word goes out, and it happens. This actually even happens when he names someone. Later in Genesis, we meet a couple named Abram and Sarai. And they are unable to have any children and almost 100 years old. When God tells them that not only are they going to have children, they are going to be the mother and father of many nations of people. And literally they laugh at him when, they t- when, when he tells them that. 
They're like, don't you know we're 100 years old, God? We're way past childbearing years here, okay? And so what does God do? He changes their name. As he tells them that they're going to be the mother and father of many nations, in the same sentence, he changes Abram's name, which Abram means high father, to Abraham, which means father of multitudes. He changes Sarai's name, which means my princess. She becomes Sarah, which means mother of nations. God's word goes out. Their names are changed and they become the mother and father of what eventually would be the Jewish people of many, many nations. God's word and God's actions are one. God's word continues to lead and guide his people as he speaks to them through prophets throughout the Old Testament. Prophets were God's messengers, right? And they spoke God's words for him. And almost every single time a prophet is about to speak on God's behalf, they say, the word of the Lord came to me. One of these Old Testament prophets was a guy named Isaiah. And Isaiah wrote 66 chapters filled with God's word for his people. God speaking to him so that he could speak to the people. And one of these passages, a beautiful text where God actually describes the power of his word. Isaiah 55, verse 10. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The Old Testament is filled with God's word going out to his people, through his prophets, and it accomplishing its purposes. But then something happens. God stops speaking. The whole Old Testament is filled with verses like Genesis where God speaks and things happen. Verses like Abraham and Sarah being named and things happening. Verses like him telling the prophets that something's going to happen and it happens and God's word is going out and going out and going out and then all of a sudden it stops. It doesn't just stop for a couple of days or a couple of weeks or a couple of years. His word stops for 400 years. This is a period known as the intertestamental period. It's the, the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. 400 years. Can you Imagine the discouragement of God's people as they waited for over 10 generations for God's word to come to them. But then, God's word breaks through in a way that they hadn't experienced since, they, since Adam and Eve walked and talked with God in the Garden of Eden. Remember how Tim Keller describes God's word. I'm going to read this again. When the Bible talks of God's word, it is talking of God's active presence in the world. To say that God's word goes out to do something is the same as to say God has gone out to do something. If God's word is his active presence in the world, Jesus is the physical manifestation of that word. He is the fullness of God's word, literally the incarnation, the putting on of flesh of God's word. He is literally God going out to do something, coming down to earth to do something. And that's exactly how John 1 describes him. John 1, 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full 
of grace and truth. The fullness of God's word comes to dwell among us. One of the reasons that Jesus is so amazing is because not only is he fully God, the fullness of God's word, he was actually also fully man. The Bible tells us that he experienced everything that we experienced, every emotion he can empathize with, every temptation he has felt. And one of these times was a temptation where he went out to the desert and he was tempted by Satan himself. Matthew 4.1 records how Jesus handled it. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So how does Jesus himself battle temptation in his life? He quotes part of God's word explaining the power of God's word. It's it's a lot to take in, but it's the fullness of God's word in humanity, quoting part of God's word that talks about the power of God's word. It's, It's an amazing picture of this full picture of all the power that is manifest inside of God's word. But the fullness of God's word dwelling among us was short lived. Jesus only spent about 33 years here on earth before he changed everything with his death and his burial and his resurrection. And most of us know that part of the story, but we may not be as familiar with what Jesus told his disciples the night before he was going to lay down his life. As the disciples all gathered for what became known as the Last Supper, they were sitting around this table and Jesus was teaching them about all different kinds of things. And then he tells them something that was, was kind of shocking. John 14, 16, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So Jesus was going to leave the earth, but he was going to send his Holy Spirit to live inside of Every Christian. So follow me here. The fullness of God's word went from dwelling among us to dwelling inside of us. And it's better. It it, it sounds crazy to say, I know, but the fact that God's word is now dwelling inside of us, rather than just dwelling among us, is actually better. Jesus says so himself, John 16, 7. But very truly, I tell you, it is good for you that I am going away. Because unless I go away, the advocate, that is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. God's word goes from dwelling just among us to dwelling in us. And if you're unfamiliar with the Holy Spirit, let me just tell you a little bit about who he is and what he does. The first thing that you should know is that there's this thing called the Trinity. And it's it's God the Father, God the Son, that's Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. That they are one God and three persons. And it's really a confusing and hard thing to understand. But the best way to put it is, like I said, one God, three distinct persons. We also need to understand that the Holy Spirit actually inspired the entirety of the Bible. So not only is he fully God, he inspired God's word. 
2 Peter 1.20 explains it. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Every piece of truth that we have in Scripture, God's word that we hold in our hands, was written by the Holy Spirit. Not only did he write it, he's our primary means for understanding the truth that resides inside of Scripture. In John 16, 13, Jesus says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you in all truth. Like I said, this truth is God's word in Scripture. The Bible is what we call it today. And Hebrews 4.12 explains the power of God's word. It says, The word of God is alive and active, Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Okay, I know that was a lot. But isn't God's word incredible? I want to recap it for us for a second. First, we see God's word's power as God speaks the world into existence, revealing that God's word and God's actions are one. He doesn't need to say, let there be light, and then have to go and turn something on or go and create. No, his words created the light. Then we see God's word changing lives as God speaks through the prophets to his people throughout the Old Testament. God's word going out through people. And then God's silent. For 400 years, God's word stops going out. Seemingly, God has gone quiet forever, but then God's word breaks through in a new and amazing way in the person of Jesus, the fullness of God's word in the form of Jesus Christ breaks through and comes to dwell among us. The physical manifestation of God's active presence in the world. But it's short-lived. He doesn't stay for all that long, just 33 years, and God's word leaves us. It no longer dwells among us, but he says, I have sent my Holy Spirit that he may dwell in you. And God's word goes from just dwelling among us to dwelling inside of each of us. And that same spirit of God who wrote the scriptures not only comes to live inside of us, he actually helps us understand the truth from God's word that's in scripture. That it's living and active and life-changing. So remember, at the beginning of our time together, we gave this formula. We said that prayer is communicating with God. It's our words, what we send, plus God's word, what we receive. And that's when, and only then, communication, true communication takes place. Our words going out, God's words coming into our hearts. We're all pretty good at sending our words up to God. But most of us struggle with receiving God's word back from him. But the reason I just walked you through the entirety of scripture talking about God's word is to show you that the truth, the simple basic truth is this. We have everything we could ever need when it comes to hearing from God. Most of us, we can't figure out how to hear from God and yet scripture teaches that we have everything that we could ever need to hear from God. God's written word in our hands, and the fullness of God's word, the Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts. 
God's written word in our hands, God's whole word in our hearts. The Holy Spirit opens our mind to the truth found in Scripture, and we begin to hear from God. God's word in our heart, revealing God's words in our hand. It's amazing. That's it. That's how we do it. That's how we hear. And when that happens, prayer changes. Prayer changes from a monologue to a dialogue. Prayer changes from something that's just frustrating, some box that you have to check because you know that you're supposed to, to actually an intimate relationship between you and the creator of the universe. Because you're not just talking to him anymore, you're hearing from him. Just like every week in this series, we want to provide a safe space for you to put into practice what we've been talking about in prayer. So how do we practice receiving God's word? I'm going to say that it's through something called meditation. And you may get uncomfortable with that word. That's totally okay. But I want you to know that it can sound controversial because I guess it can be sometimes associated with other religions or kind of secular ways of practicing humanism and things like that. But before you get really concerned about that, let me explain what I mean. So the goal of meditation for most Eastern religions and even most secular organizations is to empty your mind. Maybe it's through repetition to just say something over and over and over again until the word loses all its meaning and your mind is just completely emptied. Or maybe it's just solitude where you are quiet until everything else is blocked out and your mind is completely emptied. That's the goal of meditation for some religions and for some secular organizations. But the goal of meditation on God's word is not to empty our mind, but to fill our mind with his truth. And then allow the Holy Spirit to move that truth from our head to our heart. That's the goal of gospel meditation. Reading through the Bible can sometimes be like a a to-do list in our lives, like a, a box to check or an activity with the goal of making us just a little bit more knowledgeable about the things that God says. But we have to remember that 1 Corinthians 8 reminds us that knowledge just puffs up, but it's only love that really builds up. I can sit around and read the entirety of Scripture and accumulate vast amounts of knowledge, but if that knowledge never moves the 18 inches from my head to my heart, I haven't really experienced any life change. We're called to meditate on God's Word, to really listen to Him so that we can be transformed. It's not just my idea. It's it's biblical. Psalm 1 tells us that we need to meditate on God's Word day and night, that it's supposed to always be on our lips, always be in our hearts, always be flowing through our minds. So this morning, we are going to give you a chance to put this into practice. We are going to meditate on God's word together. And I fully realize that for some of you, this may be kind of weird. It may be kind of different. It may be something that you've never done before. But I'm not going to ask you to stand up or like squat down and put your arms out or anything like that. I'm not going to make you do that. We're just going to sit in our chairs And we're going to meditate on God's word together. So I'm going to pray real quick, and then we're going to dive in. I'm going to lead you through it. God, thank you for the truth in Scripture that says that our communication with you, that our prayer life doesn't have to just be one-sided as it so often feels. Thank you that through your word... 
the Bible in our hands and the Holy Spirit in our hearts, that, God, you move knowledge about you from our head to our heart, that you speak to us, you truly speak to us, just like you've done throughout all time. Thank you that our prayer does not have to be just a monologue, but it can truly be a dialogue where we hear from you. As we prepare to meditate on your word this morning, God, I just pray that you would speak to us in this time, in the stillness, in the quiet. As we try to put everything that we walked in with aside, all the worries and stressors of life, as you take those things off our shoulders, I pray that you would clear our minds so that you can fill it with your truth, so that we can meditate on it and so that it can change us so that we can hear from you. God, we just want to hear from you this morning. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to read through four portions of Psalm 130. It's a, just a beautiful, it's one of my very favorite chapters in all of Scripture. It's just a beautiful text about who God is. We're going to read through these four portions one at a time. And they're going to be on the screen as well, but I'm going to read through them. And I'm going to challenge you just for a minute after each portion to just meditate on the truth that's found in God's word. So here's the first one. Out of the depths, I cry out to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. Spend the next minute meditating on the mercy of God in your life. sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. Spend the next minute meditating on the forgiveness of God.
wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than the watchmen wait for the morning. Yes, more than the watchmen wait for the morning. Spend the next minute asking the Holy Spirit to reveal what waiting for the Lord looks like in your life. together this morning, asking the Holy Spirit to reveal what putting your hope in the Lord really looks like moment by moment in your life. stand with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that we don't have to wander aimlessly through life, that we don't have to sit in silence in our prayer lives, that we get to really, truly hear from you. Thank you that you didn't just speak
Help us to trust you. Help us to meditate on your word day and night, God. And I pray that the Holy Spirit that indwells each of us would teach us the truth that comes from you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.